Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, would you hold it up right now and repeat this affirmation with me? This is God's Word. I believe what it says is true. It shows me how to know God and how to live for God. It has the power to change my life. Now, open up your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians 2, verse 11. We've been building walls since the beginning of time. We've all heard about Joshua and the walls of Jericho. Well, those walls around Jericho were evidently discovered to be at least as old as 8,000 B.C., making them the oldest walls that have ever been excavated by archaeologists. It is said that those walls were almost 50 feet high, making that city virtually impenetrable walls. The Great Wall of China. The Great Wall of China started to be built around the 7th century B.C., but, but the majority of that wall, the largest part of that wall, was built during the Ming Dynasty. That part of the wall that was built during those 300 years is over 5,500 miles long. The entire Great Wall of China is over 13,000 miles long. That's a lot of wall, isn't it? The Great Wall of China. During the reign of, of Cyrus the Great of Persia, God spoke to Cyrus's heart and he issued a decree that the temple would be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And that temple was completed under Darius and then Herod renovated that temple. And the temple that they had in Jesus' day and, and in Paul's day was a massive complex. And it was a complex that consisted of a number of different walls. You had an outer wall and and inside that outer wall was the, the court of the Gentiles. And Gentiles could enter into that court. But Gentiles could go no further than the court of the Gentiles. Because on the other side of that court was another wall. And, and all along that wall were signs that warned anyone who wasn't a Gentile not to enter. In both Latin and Greek were words that, that warned anyone that if they entered, they would be put to death. And the Romans allowed the Jews to put anyone to death who wasn't a Jew that entered beyond those walls. And so you had the court of the Gentiles, and then you had a wall, and, and on the other side of that wall you had the court of women. And Jewish women could enter into those walls and go into that courtyard, but, but then there was another wall. And on the other side of that wall was the court of Israel. And only circumcised Jewish men could go into that court. And then on the other side of that court was another wall. And it was the court of the priest. And only the priest could go in there. And that's where the altar was. But then on the other side of that court was another wall. And, and on the other side of that wall was the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go beyond there. And he could only enter there once a year. It's a lot of walls. A lot of separation. In 1987, President Ronald Reagan was, was delivering a speech in West Berlin. And as he entered this, or, or gave this speech, he said something that made international news. He spoke to the leader of the Soviet Union, and he said, tear down this wall. 
You see, there was a wall that was separating West Berlin from East Berlin, and it had been there since 1961. President Reagan said, tear down this wall. In this last election, one of the, uh, the things that was debated, one of the things that was discussed, and one of the things that ultimately divided people politically was this whole idea of building a wall. Building a wall on our southern border to protect us, to keep people from illegally entering our nation. We have walls around countries, we have walls around cities, we have walls around neighborhoods. Some people even have walls, they have fences around their homes. And these walls are built to protect us. These walls are built to, to separate us from other people. These Walls are sometimes built to keep people in, and other times these walls are built to keep people out. And here's what I know. When we build these walls, they make us feel safer, especially if we are on the inside of the wall. And sometimes these walls make us feel special. We may live in an exclusive community where our community is walled in and no one can come into our community unless they are invited in. And we feel special and we feel exclusive. But this morning I want to talk about walls made not out of concrete, walls that aren't made out of wood, walls that aren't made out of metal. I want us to focus on another kind of wall. Walls that divide us, walls that separate us from one another. And, and as we do, I want us to see what God has to say about these walls. Because to be perfectly honest, God says a lot about how we build walls and how he feels about walls. Now, I've got to be honest with you as we get started this morning. We're going to cover a lot of ground, and, and we're not going to be able to hit every single verse. And so there are some things, perhaps even some important things that you're going to wish we addressed that we're not going to have time to address. Because what I want us to do is I want to take these verses from, from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 through chapter 3 and I want us to discover three truths that God teaches us about the walls that we build in our lives. Now here's the first thing you need to understand. Since the fall of mankind we have been building walls. You see, this old, whole idea of us building walls between us and other people is nothing new. Listen to what Paul said beginning in verse 11. He said, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. In other words, you were on the other side of the wall. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now, go down a few verses to verse 17. And notice what he says in verses 17 and 18. He says, He, that is Christ, brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles, who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now and all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Now the first kind of wall that I want us to see is 
is the wall that we have with God. Now you need to understand something. In Paul's day, Jews would look at the world and they would see the world as divided up into two groups of people. You had the Jews who were God's chosen people and then you had the Gentiles and the Gentiles were everyone else. Now notice how Paul describes the Gentiles. He says they were outsiders. They were separated from Christ. They were excluded from citizenship. They did not know and they were not under the covenant promises God had made. They were without God and they were without hope. Now that's pretty bleak. You would have thought that the way that Paul described us in verses 1 through 11 couldn't get any worse. But then as he describes us in verses 12 and 13, it does get worse. Paul says that we are homeless, we are hopeless, we are without Christ, and we're without God. Now, unless you misunderstand, unless there is someone here that I do not know about this morning, each and every one of us fall into this category of people. We are Gentiles. And so Paul is saying that each and every one of us were outsiders. We were without Christ, excluded from citizenship. We were not a part of the covenant promises God had made. We were without God and without hope. Now you need to understand that that as this letter was being read, and that's what would happen. Paul would write this letter and he would send it to the church and 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 then they would read this letter in church. And so if someone, perhaps an elder, stood up and and read this letter to the church, I imagine the Jews that were there listening to this were shaking their head in agreement. They were saying, that's right. You Gentiles, that's exactly what you were. You were dirty, you were rotten, you were filthy. But then Paul does something and in those next verses, he reminds the Jews that, that even though they were near to God, they weren't at peace with God. They were still enemies of God. He talked about the Gentiles who were far from God who needed peace. And he talked about the Jews who were near to God and yet they still needed peace. And, and you know that's how it is today. We look at some people and we think, boy, they're evil. Man, they're, they're wicked. They're far from God. And then we look at other people and we think they're good. They're religious. They're near to God. But the truth is, apart from Jesus, whether we look at someone as good or bad, whether we look at someone as near to God or far from God, religious or irreligious, we are at war with God apart from Jesus Christ and that's what the Bible says here we are enemies of God and and that's what happens when we're separated from God but then Paul talks about another wall here he talks about the wall that we have with with one another You, you see what happens is when we have this wall that has been built between us and God inevitably is going to cause us to build walls between us and other people. Now notice the term that Paul uses to describe these Gentiles. He calls them uncircumcised heathens. Now I know in the New Living Translation it takes a little bit of license there. 
But the truth of the matter is, that best describes what Paul was saying here. You see, when, when the Jews called the Gentiles uncircumcised, they weren't just talking about something physically that they had or had not had done. It was a term of derision. It was a racial slur. And, and so when you use that term to describe a Gentile, it was like calling them names. You need to understand, there was no love loss between Jews and Gentiles. They hated one another. Jews said that Gentiles were only good for the fire of hell. If a Gentile woman was giving birth to a baby, a Jewish woman would not help because she would say, we're only bringing another heathen into the world. When a Jew would enter into Palestine, they would shake the dust off their shoes and they would take their robe off and shake the robe off their, the, the dust off their robe because they did not want to defile the Holy Land with this Gentile dust. Most Jewish people would not even allow a Gentile in their home. This was a serious division. And yet it was only symptomatic of a division that had been around since the fall of man. I mean, I mean, go back to the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned against God and their eyes were open, immediately their relationship with one another was affected. What did Adam do when he was confronted by God? He tried to blame Eve, didn't he? And then God, describing what this sin was going to do, said this. He said that Eve would try to control her husband and Adam would want to rule over his wife. In other words, because sin has entered the world, because of the fall, there's going to be this division, this strife, this conflict between men and women. And then they had kids. And, and Cain was a farmer and Abel was a herdsman and they had strife, they had division, and you know what happened. One brother killed the other brother. We continue through Scripture and we see Abraham's grandchildren, Jacob and Esau, and, and Jacob was a homebody. Esau was a man's man, an outdoorsman, and, and the conflict that they experienced. And that conflict goes all the way into the New Testament. But praise God. Things have changed. Or have they? Have they really changed? I mean, here's, here's the bottom line. Our sin still divides. Our sin still separates us from one another. Our sin still causes us to build walls. We build racial walls and political walls. We build social walls and, and intellectual walls. We build walls of every kind imaginable. And at least from my view, at least from my view, it seems like we are building more walls today than ever before. And it may be. It may be social media. It may be the 24-hour news cycle. But from the chair I sit in, as I scroll on Facebook, as I watch the news, we are just as divided, if not more divided, than we've ever been. Now before you get bent out of shape, tune me out, or walk out, listen. I'm not blaming this group and I'm not blaming that group. I'm simply stating a fact. 
we're divided. We're building walls more than ever before. We're identifying ourselves as black or white, Asian or Hispanic, Democrat or Republican. And if you're not a part of my tribe, my people, my party, then you're going to be suspect. And why? Well, because by nature, we build walls. And here's the thing you need to understand. All of our social engineering, all of our political correctness, all of our sensitivity training, all of our forced segregation will never change that fact. Because the problem isn't political. It's not ideological. It's not racial. The problem is spiritual. We are separated from God and that in inevitably causes us to separate from other people. Someone said it this way, we don't have a skin problem, we have a sin problem. And I would take it a step further, we don't have political problems, we have heart problems, and they are on both sides. So sin builds walls. But praise God, and I want you to have a spell with me. The cross tears down walls. Amen? Our sinful nature builds walls. But the cross tears down our walls. Listen to what Paul said in verse 13 and following. But now. Now last week we found that incredible word but in verse 4. And we discovered that one word but combined with God, changes everything. Well, here, just a few verses later, we see that word again, and it, too, changes everything. But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Gentiles and, or Jews and Gentiles into one people whom in his own body and on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Now don't miss this truth. The blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross not only reconciles us to God, the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross reconciles us to one another. Now if you come here often, you know that it is only through the cross that we can have a relationship with God. The Bible says God displayed his love toward us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 3, it says God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. These verses make it clear that the cross is the only way that you and I can be made right with God. God, but understand, these verses also make it clear that the cross does more than simply reconcile us personally with God. These verses in Ephesians makes it clear that the cross reconciles us with one another. If your salvation 
hasn't changed the way you look at people, the way you treat people, the way you respond to people, then, dear brother or sister, you need to go back to the cross. But it goes further than that. Because Paul says, through the cross, God has taken all people from all races and all backgrounds, and he's made them one people. Did you get that? God has taken all people, and he's made them one people. In other words, according to God's word, we are no longer identified by the color of our skin. We're no longer identified by the political party we belong to. We're no longer identified by the nation we were born in. We are one people, united through the shed blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood that was shed for us has changed everything, and he's made us one. And it's not that we shouldn't be divided. According to God's word, we can't be divided. And listen, what's sad is there are some of you in this room this morning who have more in common with someone who has the same skin color and voted the same way as you in the last election than someone who has a different skin color and voted different than you in the last election. And that, my friend, is just biblically wrong. It's biblically wrong. Because it means that you are finding your identity in things that you do not need to find your identity in. So the cross tears down walls. And that brings us to point three. The church is to be the place where God displays this to the world and even to the spiritual powers in the unseen realm. God says the place that I am going to display to the world my one people, red and yellow, black and white, Democrat, Republican, everything in between. The place that I am going to do this, bring them all together as one people, is the church. Church. Notice what he says in verse 19 and following. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being part of or being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. When you go into chapter 3, Paul begins to talk about the mystery, which is the church. And then in verses 10 and 11, Paul says this. He says, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now Paul begins by making sure we understand that now, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our national heritage, we are citizens in God's kingdom. 
We're not Jews and Gentiles. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are members of God's family. And our relationship with one another through the blood of Christ is even more binding than the relationships that we have through our physical blood. And then he says we are stones in God's temple. Reminding us that a building is not the temple, but the people joined together are the temple. Now notice what he is saying here. We are a kingdom. We are a people. We are a temple. In other words, when you get saved, you don't do Christianity alone. It was never intended for you to live the Christian life alone. It was assumed that every single Christ follower was a part of a local New Testament church. And it wasn't something that they were obligated to do. It wasn't something that they had to do. They looked forward to gathering together with one another because they couldn't make it on their own. And yet... There are some of you here today that jump from place to place to place. I mean, next month when we start talking about money, you're not going to be here. (laughs) You're going to go somewhere where they're not talking about money. And then when we talk about something that you like, you're going to be back. Just jump from place to place, ship to ship. Some of you, you come for a while and then you sit home for a while and you come for a while and you sit home for a while and that just wasn't the way it was intended in God's word and that's not me that's Paul Paul wants us to understand that that we are one kingdom we are one family we are one temple being built together and so see Paul wants us to know that that God is building a people he's not building individual persons he's building his church and you're just a part of that church you're important just like everybody else is important but you're not the church by yourself you're a church when you're connected with others who are part of the kingdom who are part of the family who are part of the temple People from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And and what he says here is that the church is going to display this so that even the unseen world will see the rich variety of God's wisdom. In other words, when we come together as the people of God, people from every tribe, every nation, every color some of us are extremely well off some of us are barely scraping by some of us dress so immaculately some of us are slobs (laughs) I mean we're different in every single way possible some of us we just like a little country some of us we just like a little rock and roll we're different and yet somehow some way God brings us all together into one family, one kingdom, one temple. 
with all of these colors, all of these cultures, all of these likes and all of these differences and the unseen realm goes, whoa. And the seen realm goes, whoa. Now, can I tell you, I'm thankful for our diversity. To be honest with you, we're better than most. But that's not a statement of bragging. That's a Lord help us. I mean, to be honest with you, when, when the typical church on Sunday morning, 99% of churches on Sunday morning are, are just all one color, one shade, one flavor, something's wrong. When God said, I'm going to take all of these different people and I'm going to make you one people. And so what does God want? God wants us to be a body that is so diverse that that when we come together on a Sunday and the unseen realm is looking in and the world is taking note, they don't know whether we're a white church or a black church, an Asian church or a Hispanic church. They, they don't know. I mean, because it's just one beautiful picture of various colors coming together. That's what God desires. And that's what he wants, and that's what it says right here. The church is to display this to the world. And, and so, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? What, what some of you are saying right now, well, if they want to come here, they can. We, we don't even need to address how foolish that is. We don't need to address that. You, you know. I mean, once the right time it came out of your mouth, you knew, oh gosh, that's stupid. Because what we're saying is, you can come here to a place where you're all alone, where you're isolated, where the culture that you're used to isn't displayed, where the music you're used to isn't displayed, and you can come here, but you've got to come here on our terms. Isn't that what we say? Let's be honest. And, and by the way, Paul addressed that when he was talking to the church. Because these Jews, who were God's chosen, who were near to God, but were enemies with God, what they wanted is they wanted the Gentiles, they said, okay, you can be a part of the family, but you got to do it just like us. And so they had this big church meeting called the Jerusalem Council. <laughs> and they dealt with those things and they said, no, the Gentiles don't have to become Jews to be a part of the body. In other words, when we come together, we need to display our variety and appreciate our variety and enjoy one another's variety. Now, how do we do that? Well, we do that through the cross, but here's the thing. Let's be honest, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, the overwhelming majority of us would say, I've been reconciled to God, I've been saved. And yet, if you were completely honest in looking at your heart, you would have to acknowledge 
that there are some things there that aren't pleasing to God when it comes to your relationship with people who are different than you. Oh, it may not be racial. It could be social. You walk down the hall of school and someone doesn't come from the the wealth that you come from and they're not dressed as nice and kind of you know what you think we're in school and there's someone that just they just don't have the smarts that we've got we can roll our eyes I mean and we see that in the lunchroom at school you go in there and you you got your different tables, you got your jock table, you got your cheer table, you got your, your punk rock table, right? You got, your, you got your bookworm table, you got all your different tables. That's just what we do. And God's looking down at us and he's going, my son died to stop this. Stop it. And so what do we have to do? We, meaning me, meaning most of you who have a skin tone and have kind of some of the same characteristics I have, we're going to have to be willing to say, what can we do to reach out and make this place a place that displays the rich variety of God's wisdom in building the church. Because that's what's going to honor Him. And that's what's going to make the world take notice. So what are we going to do? Well, that's up to you. It's up to each of us. I want you to bow your head. Now I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I would be amiss if I didn't, first of all, deal with this first issue, being reconciled with God, because the truth of the matter is there's some here who just flat out aren't reconciled to God. You're an enemy of God's right now. You're living in rebellion against Him. And you know it. You know it. You don't want to be an enemy anymore. And if that's where you're at, that's your state, then I want to encourage you right here, right now, to just humble yourself before God and cry out to Him. You can pray a prayer like this if you want to. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I am a sinner. I've lived life my way, by my terms. I'm sorry. I don't want to live this way anymore. Jesus, I know you love me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave to pay for all my sins. And today, I'm asking you to save me. I'm surrendering my life to you. Come into my heart. Take control of my life. Make me new from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer.